As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. That sounds borderline illegal. I like it. <laughs> Not quite the rule follower over here, Ian. Not going to lie. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a very seven thing to say. Hey, readers. I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 125. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Before we jump into today's matchmaking, I've got a hilarious letter from listener Carrie to share. Carrie says, Of the many have-to-do chores, I dislike grocery shopping the most. In an effort to ease my pain, I held off on last week's What Should I Read Next episode so that I could listen to it while I shopped. Sounds like a solid plan, right? Well, I was so engrossed with the episode that I mistakenly walked off with someone else's cart. To make it worse, I accidentally took the cart of a sweet grandpa shopping for one. The look on his face when he found me and returned my cart full to the brim for my family of six was priceless. Long story short, no more multitasking for me. Carrie, that email made my day. Thanks for taking the time to write. Readers, if you want to tell us about what happened to you while you were listening to What Should I Read Next, the easiest way to do that is to hit reply to our weekly newsletter. Sign up at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter. Readers, we're hosting fun and seasonally appropriate bookish shenanigans right now over on my blog, Modern Mrs. Darcy, and it's all about March Madness. Really. Whether your bracket was busted during the first round, you're at the top of the office pool, or you've successfully navigated March without spending a second contemplating any kind of final four picks, we have the matchups for you. As readers, we know all about the importance of a strategic pairing. So we're hosting our own book flight bonanza to bring a whole bunch of great book matchups, or in our terms, book flights, your way. 32 pairings to be exact for a total of 64 fantastic books. So far, I've shared the book list for three regions or categories. We've paired novels with illuminating nonfiction, hot new releases with backlist titles that, bonus, will have much shorter library waiting lists, and we've matched up some popular book club novels. On Monday, we'll be bringing you more books that are better together, this time by delivering books that take intriguingly different approaches to the same topics. Get your own printable bracket that you can use as your shopping list, reading list, or library request list, and see all the previous matchups in one place when you subscribe at modernmrsdarcy.com slash marchbooks. That's modernmrsdarcy.com slash marchbooks. 
Today's guest, Dana Hartness, is fascinated by what she calls reading culture, but she feels like she doesn't belong with the readers because her interests are so far flung, and most of the time, she'd honestly rather just curl up with Netflix. Today, I'm trying to connect the dots between her wildly different favorites and recommend three books that will give Netflix a run for its money. Let's get to it. Dana, welcome to the show. Hi. I'm really excited to talk to you this morning, in part because you described yourself when we met in Charlotte as pretty much an interloper. You said that you felt certain that you were in the vast minority, if not the only person <laughs> snooping in on this books and reading podcast who didn't, yep. who wasn't really like one of them. <laughs> totally accurate. I do, I do feel like I'm in the vast minority of people who still struggle to pick up a book when they would rather be watching The Bachelor, to be honest. Wait, hold on. I'm really sympathetic and curious about you being fascinated <laughs> by a books and reading podcast and being intrigued, but not really getting yeah. it. But do you really think, I think you're in the minority in this audience, but I definitely don't think you're in the minority of people who on any given night would rather watch The Bachelor than pick up a book. Do you? I mean, I like to think that I'm not alone in the world. And also, I hear how this makes me sound super shallow. So there's part of me that's like, eh, I mean, <laughs> 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 is there anybody that's going to admit this with me? I'm not sure. But yeah, like I have loved your blog for years. And before I knew about you, I would just snoop the internet and like look for, you know, recommendations or whatever. Because I have, since I've become a grown up and a responsible person, person and a parent and all that, I have wanted to become this reader person. And in college, I mean, you know, I had to do a lot of reading, but it was like deep theological books. It wasn't mm -hmm. for pleasure. It wasn't um, something that I was like, I just couldn't put it down. It was something I felt compelled to read just to like want to find myself on a random Tuesday afternoon holding a book like that wasn't something that would come supernaturally to me. So yeah, so I've, I've been obsessed with you. And I'll be honest, like your emails with all the ebook deals, I promise you I spend more time shopping for for books and reading the descriptions than I do reading the books. So I don't know what that says about me, but there you have it. You know, that's really interesting because I'm thinking of how many readers say that the only way they will ever experience Everest or Guam or South Africa is through the written word. So they vicariously get mm. to live that life through the pages of the book. And I love mm -hmm. that you're vicariously living that life through shopping for Kindle deals. So it, this might help you. I'm an Enneagram seven. And so I think part of it is that like I'm wanting to go and do. And so sitting and reading doesn't, it feel, I feel guilty. I'll just say that. I feel like I should be doing something else. And also like shiny rabbits bounce into my periphery and I'm very distracted. Okay. I relate to the shiny rabbits and I understand what you're saying about the Enneagram seven. Would you like to explain that for people who aren't familiar with the Enneagram, what it means to be a seven? Sure. The seven in my understanding is the enthusiast. Um, we're sometimes called that. We are people who tend to be um, always thinking about the next thing, um, really adventure loving. Um, like we're always wanting something to be fun and exciting and new the dark side of this is because we don't want to feel our negative feelings. We want to always be running away from whatever it is that we would have to sit with. We're bad at sitting still. We're bad at being quiet um, in general. So I don't know if that's helpful. 
We're easily distracted people. (laughs) We're fun. I'm going to read the description from my book, Reading People, about personality for sevens. So the enthusiast is driven by the need to avoid pain. Sevens are gluttons for the good stuff of life, whether that's interesting ideas or exciting experiences. I think with the interesting ideas, there could be hope for you. Yes, very true. You want to experience life to its fullest, so you throw yourself into everything you do, which is why the type is sometimes called the enthusiast. Mm -hmm. And then the Enneagram goes into healthy and unhealthy levels of behavior. So healthy sevens do this in a really positive, constructive way, but unhealthy sevens seek out experiences, whether they're novels or The Bachelor, to numb their pain or distract themselves from the unpleasant aspects of life. Do you resonate with that? Oh, yeah. Okay. I don't think that's the answer to be found in your Enneagram type, but I definitely think it's a clue. So Mm -hmm. I'm glad you had the self-awareness to share that. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Dana, you could be interested in like French cooking or backpacking or I don't know, scrapbooking. But instead, this thing that fascinates you that you want to learn more about is the reading life. Mm -hmm. Do you know what it is about books and reading as, I guess, what is a hobby, as an activity, as a lifestyle that intrigues you? Well, I mean, you know, kind of in that description you read was just this um, hunger for learning new things. And so I'm chasing something kind of experience I'm wanting to have when I am reading. But when I look at other readers, I feel like they're just really smart, intelligent, thoughtful people who are really well-versed in a ton of subjects. Whether or not that's true about all natural readers, that is what I want to be. Is it fair to say you're a person who wants the skill of choosing books you'll really enjoy for yourself when you want to read them? Yes. So that's part of it. And then the other part, if I'm if I'm really honest, is I want to be really interesting <laughs> <laughs> so, so I want to be the person at the party who is like, oh, yeah, did you read about blah, blah, blah. I'm interested in a ton of things. I tend to go like five miles wide and an inch deep in all of those things. Some of it's that I want to experience something and some of it's that I want to accumulate knowledge. Okay. Have you heard of the scanner versus deep diver theory? No, but I'm interested. Okay. I think you're a scanner. So the idea is that some people just by their nature, some people are tall, some people have big feet, and some people are scanners. And some people are deep divers. So the scanner would not be satisfied learning everything there is to know about one very narrow field of study in life. Mm. They find it much more interesting and intellectually stimulating to know a ton about a lot of different things. So their nightstand might have a book on, I don't know professional cooking, on New York City, on the 17th Mm -hmm. century in Turkey, on like two friends go to the beach for vacation. And it's, you know, it has a cover that's pale blue with sand on it. Like Mm -hmm. they like a wide variety of things. Yes. Deep divers have 1400 books on Thomas Merton. (laughs) Not that. Nope. Okay. Okay. I do think that your situation... I almost said predicament, but that seems so loaded, is really, really common. And I think choosing good books that you want to read, that you'll enjoy with decent accuracy is a skill and it can be developed and there's hope for you. And I think what we need to do is figure out what these things are you're interested in and find some books that uh, like satisfy that hunger to learn more about them. Yes. Which sounds so easy in theory. It does. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good pitch. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So what I would love to do is hear about your favorites and maybe through that lens, we can discover where some promising 
areas of interest lie. And then I would love to put some gateway books on your list that can maybe open up the doors to a wider reading life. How does that sound? That sounds borderline illegal. I like it. Not quite the rule follower over here, Anne. Not gonna lie. (laughs) I was gonna say, that's a very seven thing to say. Yes. All right, Dana, you know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you are reading now. And we'll talk about what you should read next. Okay. Okay, take it away. What's your first favorite? So I knew that you were picking out the threads of what I'm reading. So I tried to be really careful in what I (laughs) I (laughs) I'm not sure I did a good job. Um, The first one I have is The Kitchen House by Kathleen Grissom. Yes. How did you end up picking that up? Oh, I think... I'm part of a couple Facebook groups that are bookish, and I think that it just kept coming up uh-huh. over and over and over. So also, I'm really interested in the history of my friends who are not white. I'm interested in in just that experience and knowing more about it and being educated. So that kind of drew me into this book, and it was just so beautifully written. That's so cliche to say, but I just felt like she did not shy away from raw and gritty And I really appreciate that. I really, if I'm going to read about history, I don't want it sanitized, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It was beautifully told, hard, sad, hopeful book. And I just, I loved it. It happens to be set in the South. Mm -hmm. And so are you. Is that just coincidence? You know, I, I didn't really consciously think about that, but I am really drawn to stuff set in the South. So probably. Many people read and love The Kitchen House, regardless of their place in the world, because Kathleen Grissom really brings to life an experience that lots of people are interested in that still affects our country and the world every single day. So it's set on a plantation in the decades leading up to the Civil War. Yeah. And I also read The Underground Railroad, which won the Pulitzer last year, I believe. So I think sometimes I get my lines crossed a little bit in talking about the two different books, but very similar in just the fact that it's telling a story from a slave's perspective. And it does not, from what I can tell, does not leave out details for the comfort of the reader if that makes sense. Like it's, it's okay to make you feel squirmy and uncomfortable and to really look at what their experience was. And I just, I appreciate that. I'm looking for that. Did you enjoy the Underground Railroad? Because it's true. The storylines have a lot in common, but the telling is quite different. I did. I, I will say, I think as far as just drawing me into the story, the kitchen house did that a little bit more. And it might be just the way that she paints a description or some scenery. I'm drawn to really beautiful scenery, beautiful settings. Maybe beautiful is the wrong word. Descriptive. Uh I I guess they're both just super compelling to me. Okay. Dana, what's another favorite of yours? Also kind of dark. This is generally not my favorite. Like I don't pick dark books all the time, but The Glass Castle by Jeanette Walls um, sucked me into it so much. A memoir, I'm sure tons of your readers have read it. It's about to be a movie about a girl who grew up in West Virginia in the holler, I believe. Has a difficult childhood, has very eccentric and difficult uh, relationship with her parents. And it's sort of just the story of her growing up in that and then gradually sort of freeing herself from that and becoming something different. And then her reflecting on where she came from. And it, it just, again, there wasn't a lot of shying away from hard things So I think what it has in common with The Kitchen House is that it is just detailed and gritty, but also the the story moves forward. And I think that's a big deal. Like I've put down many a book, won't even mention them because of the outcry, 
but it just didn't move fast enough for me. It was a beautiful book, but it didn't move fast enough. And so both of those, the characters are driving the the story forward. I hear what you're saying. And now I really do want to know what those books are that everybody loved that you thought didn't go anywhere. <laughs> uh, I'm terrified. I'm terrified. <laughs> well, let me just preface it by saying if I'm in a season of life where there's just a lot of heaviness, uh-huh. then I'm pretty quick to put down something that feels like it's just going to be heavy. Uh-huh. So all the light we cannot see. Ooh, I'm like wanting to take back those words. I just could not. It didn't move fast in the beginning. And I felt like, oh, my gosh, this is going to this is just going to make me sob and I can't handle this. So I haven't revisited that one. And that's probably the first one that comes to mind. Okay, so even though it sounds like you're well aware, lots of people loved it. You want something with a little more movement if you're going Mm -hmm. to choose it over. Shoot. I I mean, I just keep saying The Bachelor. What else do you like to watch, Nana? (laughs) So I can rotate some other shows in. Uh, I'm loving Outlander right now. It's sort of salacious. And (laughs) The White Queen and Parenthood, Friday Night Lights, you know. Okay, so lots of uh, lots of relationships. On the screen. Yes. Huge thread. Okay. So The Glass Castle. You know, I have not read that yet. I just picked up a copy recently at a little free library. I saw that. That's a good find. I was really happy. I do a lot of dropping off and not much picking up because my general idea when I'm dropping off at a little free library is to tip the balance of books in my house. I mean, the idea being I want to get rid of them because they come in so quickly and I need to, I don't know, maintain some kind of homeostasis, but I couldn't resist that one. Have you started it? No, not yet, but I'm going to. I really hope the movie does it justice. <sighs> yes. Dana, what rounds out your favorites list? So this is very different. I loved Little Beach Street Bakery by Jenny Colgan. I found that book on your summer reading guide maybe two years ago, and it was the breezy novel section, which P.S., that's pretty much always my favorite. Excellent. Took me away to a little, I think it's in England, but it's a little island I loved all the scenery. I loved the baking. There's a lot of bread and the love story. It was just a fantastic read from cover to cover. It was exactly what I needed. It was light. And I've read a couple more of her since then. That one's still my favorite, but I just in general really like her. At Girls Night last night, we were talking about the little bookshop on the corner. Have you read that one? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because my friend was saying It was light. It was fun. It was what she needed when she needed something just like to chill. Yeah. You know, and she loved learning about Scotland. Yes. Is that where it is? Yeah. Well, much of the book, not the entire thing cover to cover, but much of the book takes place in Scotland. Any book that will take me overseas is really exciting. Her descriptions of the ocean and the sea and the the smell of bread while you're looking at the ocean and there's some like super cute boy that you love all that together I, I, you just don't get better than that like <laughs> that's fantastic <laughs> carbs ocean cute boy the perfect summer read that's really interesting Dana because a lot of people said that Little Beach Street Bakery was a little slow for them it took a long time hmm. to get something happening and it's not short either. This is interesting because I think maybe it was the scenery that drew me in. I don't remember feeling ever that it was slow. Okay, so scenery is good. Oh, yeah. Really atmospheric novels. I have a huge, huge case of wanderlust. I actually will look for books set in a country that I want to visit. I had a big Italy thing for about a year, and I was reading what I could get my hands on that was based there. Do you have a current country you're itching to visit? No, honestly, I think it's still Italy or any place tropical. 
we're going to poke at that a little more as we go. Dana, what is a book that you're not so crazy about? It's Everything I Never Told You mm-hmm. by Celestine. Mm-hmm. I've heard great things about Little Fires Everywhere. I haven't picked that one up yet. And totally acknowledge that she's a fantastic author. But that book, maybe I missed it, but there was no glimmer of hope that I could detect. And so while I really liked how deep she went into this family and the dynamics that was going on there, there was nothing that was redeeming at all. I just couldn't find it. It just felt dark and hopeless. So you thought it was interesting. You thought she was a good writer, well executed, Mm -hmm. not for you. No, because it made me sit with bad feelings too long and it didn't, (laughs) didn't bring me out of those. I think that's entirely fair and something good to know about yourself. So I really like this book because I found it really, really interesting. The way she used an omniscient narrator to show you after a tragedy happens, what is going on in everyone's minds, mm-hmm. what happened in the past that brought you to this present moment, why it's even more complicated than it at first blush seems, and mm-hmm. what really happened. And it's a truth the family never finds out, but the reader does, and that hurts. Yeah, it was like an aerial view of everything going on. I enjoyed that part of it a lot, but yeah, it was just so sad. So we want to end on an upbeat. I mean, it doesn't have to be wrapped up in a bow. But I need there to be a glimmer of, in the future, somebody in this book is going to be okay. (laughs) (laughs) I finished a book recently, and my husband said, you don't look happy. How was it? I was like, oh, it was so good. It was so good. It was really good. But it was a 200-page book, and there were like Mm -hmm. 192 pages of utter devastation. And eight pages, I mean, eight like genuine shining pages, not tied with a bow, but just this really satisfying, hopeful, Mm -hmm. this is important, this is what matters in life, woven throughout. And in this book, the peaceful, satisfying, quiet joy kind of ending can't happen without the devastation. But oh man, I needed the balance to be a little bit more even because 192 Mm -hmm. to eight really hurt. Yeah. That's a, that's like, yeah, for me, that's many hours of sitting in some depression that I don't need in my life. Okay. I will be mindful of the hope versus tragedy balance. Tragedy is okay. I mean, that's life, but there's got to be something. What are you reading right now? I'm so curious, Dana. Okay. So I just finished Beneath a Scarlet Sky by uh-huh. Mark Sullivan. I'll tell you one thing that I loved about that is that it's based on a true story. The writer is a man who met the the main character and through a series of interviews basically pulled together this book. So it's it's not strict nonfiction because there were some things he had to he had to fill in some information gaps mm-hmm. with some fiction, but essentially it's pretty close to the story. I don't know. It was just very, very interesting, very compelling, super sad. But, you know, there was hope in it and it's gonna become a movie, which is very exciting to me. Okay. Anything else you're reading right now? Um, yeah, I'm, it's taking me forever and I'm trying to figure out why. I'm in the middle of Mr. Penumbra's 24-hour bookstore. Mm-hmm. I read Sourdough also by Robin Sloan. I really enjoyed that one. This one is, it's interesting, but it's, it might just be the season of life that I'm in. It's, it's, I'm having to be disciplined to keep picking it up. Because it requires a lot of attention because you're not really deeply concerned about what happens next. Do you know what it is that's not making you want to like be all over that book? It might be that I just don't care that much. Also, I feel like there's some there's a big mystery in this book that is taking absolutely forever to unravel. And it's bit by bit by bit. And I just need it to like I need it to give me something a little bit sooner. 
I mean, you've read it, right? It's little, it's just, it's a, it's quirky. It is. And it feels almost like fantasy. Yes. And so here's, here's one thing. I'm not sure I love magical realism mm-hmm. and it has some hints of that. And so, yeah, Mr. Penumbra's 24 hour bookstore just has some hints of that. It's not bad though. It's not bad. And maybe in a different season, I would be fine if I was feeling a little bit more readerly, but <laughs> it's winter. And so I'm like looking for something to keep me sucked in and it's just, it's not really doing that. Okay. So you're looking for something to keep you sucked in. We want something atmospheric, good scenery, foreign countries, foreign to you in the Charlotte area are a plus. Mm-hmm. And your ideal book is Carbs plus Ocean plus Cute Boy. Mm, yes. Dana, let's see what we can do. Okay. Dana, how do you feel about contemporary versus historical fiction? Is there a place for both on your bookshelf or do you find you really... Oh, totally. Okay. Yeah, I like them both. I have ideas for you. They are all over the place. That sounds about right. But you're interested in a ton of things. So we're going to embrace it. We are going to start close to home and work further afield. Okay. Have you heard of The Queen of Hearts by Kimmery Martin? It does sound familiar. Yes. Okay. It's new. It came out February 13th. It has a beautiful cover, um, this gorgeous aqua color. It's really striking. This book is what Grey's Anatomy would be like if it was a novel. Mm, okay. So far, is that good or bad? I think it's good. <laughs> Does it go on and on and on like Grey's Anatomy? <laughs> no, it is approximately 300 pages. This okay. is the debut. So it's standard debut length. And here's why I like it for you. There are cute boys. There is no ocean. <laughs> this there- is horrible. I'm so sad I said that. <laughs> I'm having way too much fun with it. Uh, my, my husband is super cute, just so everybody knows. <laughs> Here's what happens in this book. So it's about two friends, lifelong friends. They've been best friends since they were teenagers. They went to med school together and their third year of med school. Ooh, they went to med school together in Louisville, Kentucky, where I live and have lots Ah. of friends that went to Louisville med school. So that was lots of fun for me. Something tragic happens their third year of med school that changes everyone's lives. Also in med school, there was a tall, dark, wealthy doctor named Truly. Dr. X, Dr. Zena Costas, his relationships with those medical students also alter the course of everyone's lives. So flash forward, oh, I don't know, 10, 20 years where these friends are living and working in Charlotte, North Carolina as physicians. Oh, lovely. Okay. Dr. X walks back into everyone's life and it dredges up all these long buried events. It turns out secrets have been kept for a very long time. Not everyone knew the truth of that situation. And when it threatens to be unveiled, people involved then take drastic action to make sure that doesn't happen. I like this for you because on one level, it's a fun, easy reading. I mean, this would totally be in the breezy novel section of the Summer Reading Guide. In fact, it might be in summer 2018. It's Hmm. a story about friends and relationships and the emotional kind of complicated dramas of our everyday lives. Nobody is going to like need to save anybody's life with a knife and a fork at the swimming pool when they choke on a piece of meat. Like that's not exactly every day, but it does feel uh, funny and relatable and they're dealing with things that you can relate to. But we've Mm -hmm. also got this like medical mystery layered on top of it and complicated romantic relationships. And it's just fun. It's an easy reading novel set in your town. And I think you'd find it a lot of fun. Oh, that sounds fantastic. That sounds really good. All right. For book two, I'm thinking of a memoir. Okay. 
It's by Alexandra Fuller. It's called Don't Let's Go to the Dogs Tonight, an African Childhood. Do you know anything about this? No. So what I like about this book for you is it's a memoir, as is The Glass Castle, and it's about Alexandra Fuller's childhood growing up in Rhodesia. She was white. She was the daughter of English immigrants who moved there to become farmers, but she came there at two. So Africa was the only thing she ever knew. And she was very young during the Rhodesian Civil War. Uh, the country was becoming Zimbabwe at the time, and that's what it is known as now. Her life was extraordinary. Her parents were a little bit hands-off, a little bit heavy-handed with the bottle, um, very uh, idiosyncratic. She suffered from malaria constantly. She lost three siblings to disease. There's a photo in the book of her first day at boarding school, and she's standing in front of the family car. She's smiling, and then you realize that this little girl is holding an Uzi, and you hear in the story that she had been trained to use it, um, like she knew how to put together and disassemble guns from a very young age because that's what children were taught to do. And it sounded totally foreign to me. That's just one glimpse of how her story is so unusual to someone living in Charlotte or Louisville. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting story, but just because something interesting happened doesn't make it interesting, but her telling is riveting. And what I really like about this for you is that Kathleen Grissom, who wrote The Kitchen House, she was on the podcast last year and she singled this out as one of her favorites. And she said what she really liked about it was it was a fascinating story well-told, very atmospheric, transports you in time and place, makes you understand an experience that you were never going to have yourself. And she mm. said that reading memoirs like that were really inspirational in writing The Kitchen House. And you love The Kitchen House. So mm -hmm. I think the fact that the styles are similar is promising for you. What do you think, Dana? Totally. Anything that takes me out of this life and puts me in somebody else's is just really, really cool to me. That sounds great. So we've gone from contemporary, relatable novel to Rhodesian Zimbabwean memoir. How do you feel about the Romanovs? I do not know a lot about them. You want to learn something? Sure. Okay. So I'm thinking about this brand new book, uh, March 2018. It's called I Was Anastasia. It's by Ariel Lahan. Have you read anything by her? You may know her for The Wife, The Maid, and The Mistress or for Flight of Dreams, both historical novels, historical kind of mysteries. I am very familiar with who she is. I'm not sure I've read anything that she's written. I have The Wife, The Maid, and The Mistress, but I don't think I've read it yet. That's a fun one. And I know we've talked about that on the podcast. Okay, so I was Anastasia. This is historical fiction that deals with the very old myth that Anastasia Romanoff survived her family's execution in 1918 when her whole family was killed in the palace um, after the Russian Revolution. There's always been these rumors that Anastasia actually survived. So hmm. what Ariel does in this book is mind bending. She has these interweaving strands of story. She goes back and forth um, chapter by chapter. You hear from Anastasia herself, and then you hear from Anna Anderson. Anna Anderson was a woman who was found in Berlin in a river, I think unconscious, and she had all these um, stab wounds on her. And she claimed that she was Anastasia Romanoff, who'd been, who escaped. So what Ariel does is she goes back and forth and Anastasia Romanoff tells her story. But working the other direction, Anna Anderson tells her story and their legal battles about like, is she really the heir? And if you don't know very much about the actual history here, you will learn a ton. The very like 
personal, intimate perspective of these women and their families, the people they're in relationship with, I think you'll find very interesting. And the chapters are really, really short. So it's the kind of book where you finish the chapter and you're like, just one more, just one more. Mm -hmm. But you could do that for an hour or two. How does that sound to you? Oh man, that sounds so good. So good. I'm really like into watching historical shows right now because my grasp on history is not great, (laughs) especially Russian history. So I think this this sounds fantastic. All right. Well, I hope this is your way in your gateway. Yes. All right. The legal kind. Exactly. How do those sound? And what do you think you'll read next? The, okay, the fact that the Queen of Hearts has Charlotte in it is is really a big one for me because I think that's so interesting. But these other two, I don't know, Anne. It's a good problem to have. I think I'm going to start with Queen of Hearts. I can't wait to hear what you think. Make sure to tell me all about it. Oh, you know I will. Dana, thanks so much for talking books with me today. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks for taking us on, Anne. Hey, readers, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dana today. Head to the podcast site to share your recommendations for Dana and let her know there what you thought of my recommendations. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 125, that's 125, and it's where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Next week, bookstore owner and Just the Right Book podcast host, Roxanne Cody, joins me on the show. Here's a sneak peek of her earliest memory, hand-selling a book. We moved, my family moved from New York to Connecticut when I was in fourth grade. And there was a library right in front of my grammar school, which is where I went every day because I walked to and from school, not a hundred miles, but a distance. I would go to that library every day. And I know I started telling the librarians books that they might want to let their patrons know about. So I bet you the first hand selling I did was to librarians. (laughs) It's a very smart strategy to more effectively disseminate your favorite picks. Yeah, I think that was the way I started. Catch us here next Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next? And if you enjoy the show, would you please pay it forward and spread the book love by rating or even better reviewing it on iTunes. Your reviews help other book lovers find the show and they fill our bookish hearts with joy here at What Should I Read Next HQ when we see your reviews come in. Thanks in advance. We appreciate it so much. Thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekajak. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, Ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? 
On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed.